0: And as we have been going through the Minor Prophets series, I've been reminded of just exactly what the Minor Prophets were all about. See, the Minor Prophets was all about looking at problems and finding the solution. Now, to be honest with you, as I've been working through the Minor Prophets, God's been doing a work in me and in my heart, and I've been feeling a softening of my heart, becoming more and more aware of the struggles and the pain of others little thing about me and my rookie season here whenever you're a pastor no matter where you go you deal with difficult people and I'm gonna let you in a little secret we have some and here's what's interesting about this it's very easy in the rookie season of ministry and of pastoring to look at people at their bitterness and at their anger and at their bad attitudes and get so frustrated and bogged down and irritated with them and I found myself in the rookie season especially in that first year struggling with people who I just felt like were just mean and bitter and awkward and angry. But it was funny because we have a staff that has a very long tenure here. And because they have a long tenure here, I noticed that they didn't struggle with the same emotions with the people that I was struggling with. And it kind of made me kind of furious. I mean, not furious, but maybe a little bit. And here's what I'm saying. It's because they started to recognize years ago, that bitter people are bitter for a reason, and angry people are angry for a reason, and difficult people have gone through difficulties, and they don't see people for their attitudes or for their bitterness, because they were there for the problems that made them that way, and as I have been here, and the longer that I've been here, the more I can recognize the hurt in people's hearts, and trust me, we have so Many amazing, amazing people that are dealing with their anger and their bitterness and their frustration in great godly manners, of which I am so grateful. But here's where I was challenged as we are looking through the mind of prophets. Is seeing people past their anger and their bitterness and their actions and seeing them for their hurt. And I think that that changes the way that we look at people. As we are going through the book of Habakkuk today. Habakkuk is a strange Book. People say the word Habakkuk in numerous different ways. But here's something that's unique about the book of Habakkuk. Typically, with the prophets and the minor prophets, God would speak to the prophet. And the book would be written about what the prophet would say to the people, to the Israelites, to the people of Judah. But instead, in this book, what you're going to see is a conversation between Habakkuk and the Lord. And let me tell you that it is raw. Last week we covered Amos and Amos was the prophet who was not a professional prophet. He was not a pastor. He was just a layman. And so you would think that he would just be completely raw but Habakkuk even though he was a full-time prophet, even though he was seen as a spiritual leader, Habakkuk in this conversation with God is so candid it's amazing. And there's going to be moments in this book as we study where you're going, ooh, should you really talk like that to the Lord? Because Habakkuk is bold. Habakkuk lets his hurts become apparent. He is not afraid to talk to God out of the emotion in which his current heart state is in. And I love that about Habakkuk. Here's the thing that we've learned in society. Society has taught us to be controlled, to be controlled. Reserve to make sure that we keep our emotions in check because if we do not keep our emotions in check our emotions will put us in check and I believe that to an extent but here's one thing that I love I love that I do not have to sugarcoat anything with the Lord I love that I can speak to my Lord boldly. I can speak to my God honestly. I love that I can say anything that is on my heart to him. And he has the way to understand what I'm going through and to not hold it against me. And today we are going to see exactly that happen. As Habakkuk asks a couple of very key questions to the Lord that all of us find ourselves at one point or another asking. Once again, I want to put things into the forefront of your mind. We have people in our church, in our community, in our world that are going through hard things. That are going through hard times. And I think what we have to understand is these hard times aren't just a bad moment, but they're a bad season. It's going to be something that leaves bitterness in their mouths for the rest of their lives. It's going to be something that leaves a permanent bruise on their heart. It's going to be things that while they can forgive, they possibly will never be able to forget. We have people that are going through pain and heartbreak and hurt, unlike things that we could understand. We have people that are going through things that they would never let us know. And as I have become more and more aware of the hurt within our community, and my heart has grown soft to this community, even More so, what I love about the story of Habakkuk is Habakkuk addressed some key questions. He asked one question. How am I going to make it through this season? How am I going to make it through this season? The odds are stacked against me. Everything is going wrong that could go wrong. God, how am I supposed to make it through this? See, he prophesied in 600 B.C. at a time where everything was unraveling so quickly in the southern kingdom of israel which was judah and the northern kingdom called israel had already been carried away into exile and judah had endured a series of bad kings they had a drought that completely devastated the land they had nothing and then all of the cows that didn't die were stolen so they literally were on their last leg and in chapter 3 verse 17 habakkuk says this though the fig trees does not bud and there is no fruit On the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. So basically, you just heard a country song. Listen, I don't have a dog. I don't have a wife. I don't have a house. Everything that could go wrong is going wrong. And at this point, the region of Judah was undergoing a starvation level. It was a complete, absolute collapse. Think of the Great Depression. Think of Europe after World War II. In addition to that, the Babylonians had come and they were presenting this threat. The Babylonians were going to take over the kingdom of Israel. And God had told Habakkuk and other prophets that Babylon would soon invade the southern kingdom and destroy it and carry away the survivors as slaves. So we have a problem. We have a major problem. And Habakkuk asked to God, how am I going to make it through this. And I think that we all have been in situations, and some of you even in this moment are thinking, God, how am I going to make it past this medical diagnosis? God, how am I going to go through this season where my son or my daughter is running away from me or running away from you? God, how am I going to go through this season where my marriage is in shambles or my business is in shambles or my financial state is in shambles? Shambles. What am I supposed to do in this moment? And let me go ahead and tell you that if you are feeling that way, Habakkuk was written for you. Habakkuk is this moment where God brings something key. We'll see this in a moment, but that key thing is hope. Which leads to our second question. God, where are you? See, we ask how are we going to make it through the season, but then we ask God, where are you? are you? Why haven't you shown up yet? Why haven't you done anything? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. I think these are another question that I find myself throughout my spiritual life asking at times. And I look at chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. He says this, how long Lord must I call for help and you don't listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. And he's basically saying, God, you are sitting idly by and nothing is happening. Everything is going to pot. My community is falling apart. There is infighting. There is oppression. There is anger. And you haven't shown up yet. See, once again, it's like watching a movie, and I don't know if you guys ever get into some of these movies, but see, every now and again, I find myself in a movie where everything seems like its own course, and you're waiting for that happy ending, and you're waiting for the happily ever after, and you get to the end of the movie, and the happily ever after does not come. See, that makes me angry. I do not pay to watch a movie that's going to leave me depressed. Have you ever watched Marley and Me? The dog dies. Spoiler alert. Don't waste your time. It is the worst thing ever. A few years ago, I took a group of students after a Wednesday night Bible study to go see only the brave, which is about a group of wildland firefighters from Prescott, Arizona, the Granite Mountain Hotshots. And in this movie, you follow the man car- character named Donut was his nickname. And Donut goes from being addicted to drugs to finding himself in all kind of bad situations, but walks into a fire. To- firefighting department that focuses on the wildland fires and in turn falls in love with this group of guys and they take him in they teach him they raise him if you will and sure enough at the very end of the movie just as donut has his whole act together and these guys have finally come together and they are a family they get overtaken by a fire that kills everyone but the main character and that's how the movie ends now as we sat there all the kids that were with me most of the girls in the group were tearing up and then at the very end of the movie like most true stories do it starts to show the real pictures of the real characters and it starts to tell you what happened afterwards and in the silent somber moment of the movie as everybody is just honoring the men one of the girls in my group screams out it was real it was a true story and we get out of the movie, and she looks at me, and she is bawling. And she goes, why would you take us to this? Why? why?" And just bawling her little eyes out. And she just says, I don't understand why well, you thought that this would be a good time. And church, I don't know about you, but do you ever feel like God is making the movie of your life and there's no happy ending? Do you ever feel like that's how it's going to be? If there was a movie about your life, that would be how it ended. And everybody would just leave the theater depressed and frustrated that they spent money to be angry. See, sometimes I feel like that's how God is leaving us at times. And he goes, how long must I call out for help? And you just don't listen. I'm looking for my happily ever after. But it's just not there. Which leads us to our third question. God, how is this fair? How is this fair? See, Babylon was causing Israel all of the problems, and God's about to let Babylon profit off of the Israelites. When Babylon was so wicked, if you look at chapter 1, verse 13, he writes, your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while the one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? See, these are three questions that I think we all could ask. But my heart breaks for this guy because he's looking at him. He's looking at God and he's going, hey, we are doing so much better than the Babylonians. Like we don't have our act together completely, but at least we recognize you as God. At least we recognize you as the creator. At least we're doing much better than them. But why are you profiting everybody else but me? And after he gives his series of complaints, he throws out his complaints to God. Habakkuk does something that is wise. In chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. And so this is this moment where Habakkuk lets his request be made known unto God. He throws out his heart. He is so real. And let me go ahead and tell you, I don't find anything wrong with being a completely 100% honest with the Lord. I don't find anything wrong with throwing out your heart to God. I don't have any problem with you questioning God. But be prepared because he will question you back. And that's exactly what happens in this book. All of a sudden, you start to see the questions coming back. What we're going to see in the Old Testament are these moments to where these prophets, these men, not just like Habakkuk, but many like in the Psalms and some of the other minor prophets, maybe Jonah as well, where they just show their heart. They expose how they really feel. And Habakkuk at times is uncomfortably candid. He questions and he shows his doubt. And I think as Christians, I think that we completely want to push doubt away, but I think that we have to understand that doubt is a part of the faith process. Doubt is one of the God's most common tools to drive you deeper into faith. R.C. Sproul wrote, doubt is a foot poised and raised. It can go forward and it can go backward. Doubt is a tool that the Lord uses to get you thinking that can in turn provide more faith as you conquer your doubt. Doubt is a strengthening tool in our faith. And that's what you'll see that happens in Habakkuk. I read a story this week by J.D. Greer, and he talked about a missionary named Alan Gardner. An English missionary who was shipwrecked on a remote island off the coast of South America. En route to start a new mission on that continent. And they tried to stick it out and wait for somebody to come and rescue them after they had had a massive shipwreck and lost everything. But no one came. And finally they died of starvation. And several months later, when they were finally found, they discovered his body with his personal journal underneath him. And the last thing inscribed on it was Psalm Psalm 3410. Those that seek the Lord lack no good thing. Do you understand? This isn't a made-up story. This isn't a TV show. This isn't a movie church. This is real life where a real young man wanting to make much of his life by making much of Jesus dies from a shipwreck. And as he is starving on an island, decides to write with the last thing that he was ever going to get out to anybody, the last message he could ever make public. Psalms 34:10, those that seek the Lord lack no good thing. And underneath that verse was his final phrase: I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Now, most of us, when we read this, we do not think of God's goodness. How could he talk about the goodness of God at a time like that? Is that what you would have been thinking about? Wouldn't you have rather been scared, angry? God, why have you forsaken me? Might have been the words coming out of my mouth. But he knew the same secret that Habakkuk knew. And I want to share that with you today. It is the power that can only give, that will not only give you strength in tragic moments like this, but literally infuse into your life will give you supernatural strength in every moment. And it's once again called hope. Now there was a legendary experiment that I heard about this week. And it's kind of graphic. And I wasn't sure if I was going to share it with you. But I think it's important. See, this experiment was testing the, the, the type of behavior of mice, of rats in particular. And what they would do is they would take these rats and they were wanting to see how long rats could swim in a body of water. And so they would put them in a tub of water with no way out. And typically after 10 minutes, the rats would drown. After 10 minutes, each rat would drown. No one exceeding 10 minutes after it was ran numerous times. And one of the scientists decided to try something a little unusual. And in the first two to three minutes of the rats being in the tub, he would take the rat out and set it outside of the tub for 10 seconds or so and then put it back in. And he would do that every 20 seconds or so for the first two to three minutes and then leave the rat in. And some of the rats swam up to 60 hours, 60 hours. Hours. Legendary study. You can look it up when you get home. And here's what the difference was. They had given the rat hope. They had given the rat hope that at some point it would be taken out again. If it would continue to keep its head above water. It would have an opportunity. It would have the hope of being freed. We have to recognize that hope is a powerful And even through our times of doubt, our time of questioning, I think what we have to recognize is that we serve a God who brings hope to the hopeless. In every situation, he brings hope. Now let's start to look at a few things going on with Habakkuk. First, we're going to see in chapter 1, he comes with his complaint. See, his question is really an age-old problem. The world often doesn't seem to like it being ruled by good or good all-wise, all-powerful God. And philosophers call this the problem of evil. And they trace the question back to the 5th century B.C., to a Greek philosopher named Epicurus. And what he basically asked is this. If God is really all-powerful, he could stop all the evil in the world. And if he was really loving, he would want to stop it all. So the fact that pain and the suffering still exist means that God either is not all-powerful or is not all-good and the loving and so really the short version of that, the best definition I could give is if he's good, he would. If he could, he should. and since he doesn't, that means he isn't. See, let me read that again. if he's good, he would. If he could, he should. since he doesn't, that means he isn't. Once again, this is a problem that was long before Epicurus ever noticed it, but once again, God allows for bad things to happen for the greater. Good In chapter 1, verse 5, he says this, as God answers boldly to Habakkuk's complaints, one of his answers to Habakkuk's complaint in verse 5, look at the nations and observe, be utterly astounded for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. I'm doing something that's going to bring you hope. I'm going to do something that's going to change your heart. I'm going to do something that should bring excitement to you. Chapter 2 verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory and the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. He's preparing us for something, He's getting our hearts prepared for something. In chapter 2, verse 4, look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by faith. So he's growing our faith by growing our righteousness. Another thing we're we'll going to see, another response in chapter 2, verse 20, but the Lord in his holy temple, let the whole earth be silent in his presence. See, the last thing he does is give Habakkuk this vision of himself sitting On the throne, on a high throne above it all. And he says, if I am still on the throne, then you are in good hands. Isn't that a good story? Isn't that a good moment? If I am still on the throne, you are in good hands. Church, I think that some of you need to hear this today. And I think that sometimes we underestimate the power of the statement. As the Lord is still on the throne and you belong to the Lord, you are still in a good place. And you still have Hope, no matter how hopeless you feel. And so we ask this question. How could this great, good, powerful God allow bad things to happen? Now, I was reminded once again of a story. See, just a, just a random made up story. But imagine that there was a soldier in the military, who was set to go and to spy on a large, large group of the enemy, and on his way to go undercover to see this large, large group of the enemy so that they could figure out a way to take down the entire army, he saw a small group of soldiers about to kill one of his soldiers. If he rescues his one soldier, he could compromise his whole mission. And in turn, what? Allow for a lesser evil to become more important than the greater evil. And here's what I want for you guys to understand for a moment. I think that God sometimes allows for something painful to happen to prevent something much more painful from happening later. I think you need to hear that today. Often God allows for something painful to happen because if he doesn't allow for something painful to happen, it will turn into a much bigger pain later. Often the Lord allows for pain to happen, to tenderize your heart, to convict you of your sin. See, it is not possible that a lot of the pain that God allows us to go through on earth might be like that too. Just as shots that you would give your child. Hear this. Listen, my son, oh, I love my son to death, but one of the most awkward things to do is to give that kid any type of shots. And to participate in the process. Think about that. Have you ever had to hold a child while they're getting shots? That's uncomfortable because your child is going through pain and you're participating in the process of letting them go through the pain. And that is unnerving, especially when those little tear-filled eyes look up at you. Does that not break your heart? But what are you doing? You're allowing yourself to be a part of them going through pain in order to prevent them from future problems later. Once again, I feel like we have to understand that the Lord is holding us through the pain that we're going through. And I think he feels like a parent in the same situation. The Lord does not find joy when you go through pain. The Lord does not sit there and go, if you only understood what I was going through. If you only stood what you were going through, there was a purpose to your pain. I think the Lord's gut is wrenched, even though he knows it's for a purpose. He still doesn't enjoy seeing you suffer. I think you have to understand that the Lord suffers when you suffer. I have not had to give my boy a good butt whooping yet, but I know it's coming because he's like his mama. Just kidding. And here's what the truth is. I recognize that I'm not going to enjoy that process. It's not going to be that fun for me, but I know it's necessary. Hear me. The Lord feels like that. With you. The Lord is not an abusive father that finds joy in watching you go through your pain. He doesn't, but rather he endures the pain with you, with his heart breaking when your heart is breaking. Church, I need for us to understand something. You will never understand all of the things that God is doing in your life. John Piper said that when there are over 10,000 things going on in your life that God is doing and working in and through you, you might only be aware of three of them. You hear that? God is doing so many things in your life that you are completely and utterly unaware of. And you might only be aware of three of them. See, all of a sudden, the Lord tries to give, strives to give Habakkuk hope. Like we see in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, he gives him life giving hope. He says, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in all of your deeds. All could be translated to fear. And then the next 15 verses of this text, he starts to quote. Moments where he's seen the Lord work. In 3, 4, his brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hands. This is a reference to God's appearance at Mount Sinai. Another, before him went pestilence and plagues followed at his heel. This is to reference the plagues of Egypt. Then we see in three ten, the mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on and the deep gave forth its voice and lifted its hand on high. That's to reference the parting of the Red Sea. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the Flash of your glittering spear. This is a reference to how the sun stood still with Joshua. And so he says in 3.13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him before him thigh to neck. See what he's doing is he's helping him to realize that there are so many things going on There are so many things that have happened that he can find life-giving hope. Why can we find life-giving hope in the Lord? Well, one of the reasons why we can constantly find life-giving hope in our Lord is because we recognize that the Lord has constantly showed up for the hopeless before. This is just a list for what he's done for people in Scripture, but I believe that we could all make a list of what the Lord has done for us. When we find ourselves in an issue, we start to make all these excuses. But God, I'm a good person. Why do you let good things happen? Bad things happen to good people. R.C. Sproul said this, he was asked, why do bad things happen to good people? And he said, well, when I meet a good person, I'll let you know. It's not, why do bad things happen to bad people? That's not the question we should be asking. The question we should truly be asking is, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do good things happen to bad people? See, often we get fixated. God, why do you allow for all of this pain to go on in my life? Why do you allow for all of this to happen? When we really should be asking, God, why am I so blessed? Because I don't deserve any of this. You deserve the pain, can I be honest? Like, you deserve to go through trials. We deserve to go through all of this. We want to make all these excuses that the punishment does not fit the crime. And I understand some of you have gone through so many painful moments, and I just want to remind you Pain is a consequence of the sin that started in the garden. It all started there. And when we look at text, I gotta remind you that hey, we are not good. Habakkuk says, I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. He recognized that just like the Babylonians, he and his people sin in their lives 317 though the fig tree does not bud and there's no fruit on the vine so the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls yet I will celebrate in the Lord I will rejoice in the God of my salvation the Lord Lord, my Lord is my strength he makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights how can hope exist along with your grief well I can look at Job I can look at Habakkuk I can look at David I can look at Amos and we have to remember that our God does not find pleasure in our pain he does not find pleasure in our grief but he does find pleasure when we use our grief and our pain to propel ourselves to him hope is a choice Job Habakkuk says I will wait Patiently in verse 16 and verse 18, he says, I will rejoice. That is a choice. He chooses to rejoice. We have to choose to rejoice in the goodness of the Lord. Let me tell you that often when we look at our lives, we are not proud of where our lives are going. Often it feels like we have nothing to boast about or brag about, we have nothing to be proud of when our lives feel like it's in shambles but can I go ahead and tell you that that might be a good thing because the apostle Paul wrote let me boast on nothing but the cross of Jesus let me brag on nothing but the suffering that Christ went through let me never make much of myself and often I find myself in those moments where I am struggling with depression because I cannot find enough goodness in me to be proud of but God never told me to be proud in me but to be proud in him When I find myself at the bottom of the barrel, I think that's the time when the Lord says, quit looking at yourself because you'll always be left wanting. But when you look at me and make much of me, you find your hope. Guess what? You are a depressing subject matter. You are. Because guess what's going to happen? I used to think that when I would preach to you, when I preached to anybody, if I preached on one text one time or one subject matter one time, you would have it figured out, and I'd never have to preach on it again because it would have been covered, and we could move on to something else. But guess what? None of us work that way. We have to keep drilling and drilling and drilling and drilling. And I'm going to tell you something really depressing today. No matter how much we drill, we're always going to be left wanting. We're always going to be left failing. We're always going to be left never being perfect. So stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at your life and start reveling in the goodness of the Lord and the fact that one day the pain on this earth will end. The hurt in this world will end. The stress of this life will end. The race that you're running where you're constantly striving to be like Jesus will be over because you will be glorified when you stand before Him in heaven and you can take a deep breath and say the race is over and I can enjoy the prize. Church, we find hope and what's coming, and the hope that has already come, hope comes from remembering and repeating. And the height of hope comes from the depth of faith. In chapter 3, verse 19, the Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Church, in a moment, I'm going to pray. And what I'm going to ask you to do is be very aware of where you stand with the Lord. Be very aware of where your relationship with the Lord is today. Because let me go ahead and tell you, without a tight relationship with the Lord, you will find yourself depressed because you won't have that to lean on. Without a tight relationship with the Lord, you will be focused on your failures rather than his successes. Listen, I have learned very quickly that as a pastor, I will get very depressed if I focus on what I do for the kingdom. Because I'm never going to be satisfied for what I do for the kingdom. I'm never going to find fulfillment in what I do for the kingdom. But rather, I will find fulfillment when I revel in what he's doing for his kingdom, whether he uses me to do it or not. That's where we find peace. That's where we find our hope. The fact that the Lord is still on the throne. In a moment, I'm going to make myself available if you need to talk to me or if you simply just need to spend time in prayer at this altar. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to make much of you, to find hope and strength in you. Lord, I pray, God, I pray that during this time where we are so confused, where the world is so confused, where the church is confused, where nobody knows what's coming and what to do next, God, I pray that we revel in who you are and the fact that you know and that you are still on the song. Let me talk to our at-home audience for a moment. Listen, we recognize that even you, where you're sitting, you are struggling with confusion and frustration, and I recognize that there is pain and isolation. What I'm going to ask you to do in this moment is to spend time in prayer as long as you need press pause on the video if you need to. But spend some time seeking the Lord's heart asking him to search your heart for any evil way in you and at the same time reveling